Would you turn your Bible, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15? <clears throat> we begin reading with verse 51. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning to read with verse 51. Our youth team directed uh, a countywide youth rally last night at Henry County at Campbellsburg, Kentucky. The old-fashioned singers sang, Kenny Harris preached, and I understand about three or four people were saved. And we thank God for that session last night. To God be the glory. Let's bow together in prayer, please. <clears throat> Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for the privilege of being in God's house this morning. So many things have we to be grateful for. We pause to give thanksgiving to God for His unspeakable gift. May the Holy Spirit stir our hearts and speak to us and through us. And may He accomplish that which God would have accomplished in this service. We pray that anyone who is here without Jesus will come to Christ as his personal Savior. And may every saved person have a new motivation, a new desire, as the Spirit of God leads, to serve thee. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning with verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The little church at Corinth had every imaginable problem. You named the problem and that church had it. Not least among those problems was the question about what happens when a believer dies. Or, if a believer dies before Jesus comes, what will happen to his body? Or if he's still living when Jesus comes, what will happen to his body? And so the entire book of Corinthians is written to answer problems. Every problem. And it's really a fine thing that that early church had all those problems right at the beginning of the first century of the first Christian movement because we have the answers to problems that otherwise we might not know any answers to. 
The Holy Spirit saw that there was a need for these answers, and so he gave the answers through the Apostle Paul. And when it comes, when Paul comes to the end of this little book, 1 Corinthians, he spends the entire chapter about the resurrection. And then he comes to the, the climax, to the mountaintop. And he says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. And then he describes how this mortal must put on immortality and this corruptible body must put on an incorruptible body and death will be swallowed up in victory. And he asks those questions, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Not really expecting an answer. It's almost a interrobane. It's almost as if he were saying, O death, where is thy sting? Question mark with an exclamation mark through it. O grave, where is thy victory? Question mark with an exclamation mark through it. There is no need to have an answer because the answer is all bound up in who Jesus is. Thanks be to God, Paul says, who always gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. September 8th, 1620, the Mayflower left the old country. November 10th, 1620, the Mayflower landed on the North American continent. In November of 1621, the first Thanksgiving, our forefathers, who could no longer tolerate the ancient kings and potentates of an old country, left that country and came to this continent to build a nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the principle that all men have certain inalienable rights that we have the right to exercise those rights. That first Thanksgiving was a day of gratitude to God. And I'm told in one source that we read that the passage I have read to you this morning is the passage that was read on that first Thanksgiving day. For during that long, hard year from 1620 to 1621, many of those who had dared to come across the Atlantic Ocean, who had dared to leave the old country, who had dared to defy the security of their own homes in the old land. Here in this land, they had died. That winter was a hard winter, and many of the people died. And when the first Thanksgiving was held, there were vacant seats. Mother, daddy, grandfather, grandfather, grandmother, son, daughter, aunt, uncle. There were empty seats. And some preacher took this passage of Scripture and said, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. Don't you know 
that was a joy to those who gathered on that first Thanksgiving when people who had been precious to them, who had come across that Atlantic Ocean, who had actually given their lives in that first year of freedom in America, they weren't there at that Thanksgiving season. But the preacher said, there is victory in Jesus because one day they will be changed and raised and have an incorruptible body. But the text that I want to move in on this morning as we think of Thanksgiving 1977 is that verse in 57, thanks be to God who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible is full of thanksgiving and gratitude. Our greatest sin is ingratitude. I'm convinced that the greatest sin you and I are guilty of is the sin of ingratitude. Now, there are many sins, sins of the flesh, sins of the spirit, but there is no sin so severe as the sin of failing to say thank you. And it's all around us. People come and say, my name's Jimmy, I'll take all you gimme. That seems to be a prevalent philosophy, an attitude of life. Children seldom say thank you, mother, for that delicious meal. They seldom say thank you, dad, for going out and working long hours so that we can have this nice home to live in, or we can have this food, or I can have these clothes to wear. You give somebody something and occasionally they'll say thank you, mumble it maybe, but usually we're not very grateful as a people. And perhaps our greatest sin is our ingratitude toward God. God who gives us the breath we breathe, the air we breathe. God who gives us the warmth and the coolness. God who gives us our very existence. How often do we say, thank you, Lord, for this wonderful air? <laughs> thank you, Lord, that it's light today. Thank you, Lord, for a night when we can go to sleep. Thank you, Lord, for a job where I can work. Thank you, Lord, for the food. Thank you for taking care of me. In Isaiah 51, 36, joy and melody shall be found with thanksgiving. In Amos 4, 5, offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving. In Philippians 4, 6, pray with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. In 1 Timothy 4, 4, to be received with thanksgiving every item that comes to us. In Luke 2, 38, she gave thanks to the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 15, 57, thanks be to God who giveth us the victory. Ephesians 5, 20, giving thanks for all things. Revelation 4, 9, they, give, they, give, they gave thanks to him who sat on the throne. And in Philippians 4, 6, thanksgiving in praise. In Amos 4, a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Over and over again, we could go calling the role in the scripture of the great thanksgiving passages. Frederick Shannon said, thanksgiving, like an art, teaches us first to see some things that we usually take for granted. And secondly, it teaches us what to see by discovering the best way to look. Thanksgiving causes us to see 
things that we usually take for granted. When we begin to cultivate a heart of gratitude so that we determine to not let anything come to our lives that we do not stop to thank God for or to thank somebody for, it changes our whole outlook on life. A lady visited a psychiatrist. She was all down and defeated and discouraged. She wanted to die. She was contemplating suicide. She said, nobody loves me. Nobody pay any attention to me. Nobody cares. Nobody does anything for me. The psychiatrist apparently was a Christian. He said, you say nobody does anything for you? No, nobody. Well, did your mother bring you into the world? Yeah, guess she did. Have you thanked her? Nope. Did your father provide for you in your early years? Yep, guess he did. Have you thanked him? Nope. Do you have air to breathe? Yep, guess I do. Have you thanked the one who gave it to you? Nope. So on and on and on the psychiatrist went and then he said, I want to give you a, a strange prescription. I want you to go home and get alone in your room. Nobody hear you. And you think of everything that you've taken for granted all these years, everything, and just write them down on a piece of paper and start thanking people. And write some letters to some people thanking them for the thing. Write your mother. Write your daddy. Write a letter to God. Write some friend if you've ever had a friend. When that lady went back to the psychiatrist for her next visit a few weeks later, her countenance was different. She had a smile on her face. And the doctor said, well, do you still plan to commit suicide? Oh, she said, no, I don't want to kill myself anymore. She said, I've discovered there's something to live for. Now, the whole thing changed when she created within her a spirit of gratitude, thanking other people for the investments that had been made in her life. Frederick Shannon said, not only does Thanksgiving like an art teach us to see things that we usually take for granted, and teaches us what to see, but it teaches us to see more than we see, to look beyond the externals. It is easy to see the externals and neglect the eternal. It is easy to see the hands on the clock and neglect the mainspring. John Henry Jowett said, gratitude is like a vaccine to prevent the invasion of disgruntled spirit. It is like an antitoxin to destroy the poison of fault-finding and grumbling. It is like an antiseptic to soothe the wounds caused by trouble and sorrow and turmoil. That's what Thanksgiving is. And all of those truths can be brought to bear in our lives, and we can live, leave this place in a little while with a totally different outlook on life from that one we had when we came in here. If we'd make just a simple decision, I am not going to live a day longer without expressing gratitude. Not only having a thankful heart, but expressing that gratitude to those who have been a blessing to me.
In the light of this, let's first of all consider our blessings. In our Sunday school class this morning, we were led in the song, Count Your Many Blessings, Name Them One by One. If we're like most people, one by one won't do. We need to count them ton by ton. God has blessed us. He has blessed us as a people. He has blessed us as a nation. He has blessed us as individuals. He has blessed us as a family. He has blessed us as a family of God. He has blessed us as a church. We need to thank God for this great universe, the sun, the moon, the stars. O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art. I know, yes, I know that he loves me so. He sits by the window as the long ages roll, where an eon of time is the brush of his hand, yet the king of all kings seeks the love of each man. Should the light of the sun in time flicker and die and the earth wander off like a tramp through the sky, the darkness can't hide me. He'll find me, I know, for men are his diamonds, and he loves me so. God loves us so much, he created this vast universe for us. And as that black spiritual says in God's trombones, God stepped out on space and God said, I'm lonely, I'll make me a man. And God made man from the breath, from the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. You and I owe our very existence to the great God of this universe. An agnostic or an atheist who says, I don't believe in God, or I don't know whether there's any God or not, reminds me of a little ant crawling along the ground. And I go reach down and pick that ant up, and that ant looks up at me, and he says, I don't believe in you. <laughs> Here we are. We look up at God and say, I don't believe in you. I don't believe you exist. I don't believe you're real. I don't know how to know you. You know the problem with the agnostic who says, I don't know. He's really telling the truth because the only way we can really know God is through Jesus. The only way we can really know anything about God at all is not just through the stars and the moon and the sun and all those things. Those might lead us to recognize there's something higher, something bigger. There's a prime mover over there somewhere. But the only way we can really know God is through that one who came from God to say, you've been wondering who God is, you've been wondering what God is like. Look at me. God is like me, for I and my Father are one. And only one could say that. That's Jesus. And so I'd like to say thank you, Lord, for Jesus. When I was a little boy, somehow there was impressed upon my heart the importance of uh, thank, thank, thanking people and thanking God. And I remember as a real young boy, I used to pray, thank you, God, for Jesus. And thank you, Jesus, for God. <laughs> and thank you, Jesus, and God for the Holy Spirit. I don't know where I heard that. Maybe I just, maybe the Lord gave it to me. But I believe we need to thank God for the Son. Thank the Son for the Father. Thank the Father and Son for the Spirit. We need to cultivate a heart of gratitude, of thanksgiving. And I'd like to pause and thank God for this great church, the honor and privilege of trying to serve you, your friendship, your loyalty. And I look across this church today and see individuals 
I'd like to just come and say to you personally, thank you, thank you, thank you. God, give us a heart of gratitude, of thanksgiving that would never take another for granted, that would never take any of the blessings of God for granted. We need to thank God for our personal blessings. The greatest personal blessing that has ever come is the personal blessing of salvation. To know the Lord Jesus Christ as personal Savior and Lord, to have Him living in our hearts, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. I thank God for that great love gift of all eternity, Jesus. I heard a story about a man who was uh, meeting with a, 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 a farmer who was meeting with a very cultured gentleman. They were going to meet in a restaurant. So when they ordered their food, the farmer and the cultured gentleman were there. Uh, the farmer bowed his head and thanked God. He thanked the Lord for the food and for the blessings of the day and so on. He finished. The cultured gentleman said, why do you do that? Well, the farmer said, it's my custom. I always pause and thank God for his blessings. Oh, he said, uh, we've learned better than that. We don't have to do that anymore. He said, uh, the people where I come from don't bother to do that anymore. Oh, the farmer said, uh, we have some on our farm that don't bother to thank God either. Oh, they're pretty intelligent, aren't they? The farmer said, they're our pigs. They never pause to thank anybody. A lot of times we go to the restaurant or we sit down in our homes for our meals and we just gobble up the food and we never say thank you to anybody, mom, dad, or God. We need to cultivate in our hearts a spirit of gratitude and thanksgiving. And I wonder how long it's been since we have paused to say thank you, Lord, for this great salvation. Paul never got away from that. Over and over again in his writings, he would thank Lord. He would thank God for the friends, thank God for this church. He would thank God for so great salvation. This leads us to check up on our lives. If we can serve God out of a heart of gratitude, or do we serve God with no gratitude at all? I'd like to ask each of us this morning to check up on our lives as to why we serve God. In the scripture, there are three illustrations used of people who served God. And I want to just uh, present these to you. Look in Genesis chapter 28, beginning with verse 20. Genesis 28, beginning with verse 20. And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me, and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house, and of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. Now notice carefully Jacob. 
Jacob was a supplanter. He was the twin son, the twin brother of Esau. Two sons of Isaac. Jacob had cheated Esau out of his birthright. Now Jacob comes to a pivotal point in his life and Esau has the power to kill Jacob. Jacob is praying that God will put on Esau's heart mercy and he vows a vow. He says, now Lord, I'll serve you and I'll give you a tenth of everything that comes to me if, if you'll be with me and will keep me in this way, will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on. I'll serve you. It's sort of a bargain with God. God, I'll serve you if you'll do this. It's like a bus pastor who says, Lord, I'll serve you if you'll help me get 40 or 50 or 60 or 80 or 100 on your, my bus. It's like a Sunday school teacher who says, now, Lord, I'll serve you if you'll help me to get 10 or 20 or 30 in my Sunday school class. Or, Lord, I'll serve you if you'll let me live in a nice house and have nice clothes to wear and have the car that I need. I'll serve you then. And I suggest to you this morning that this is one of the reasons people serve God. They sort of bargain with God. And when the bargain goes bad, when they don't get all that they think they're supposed to get, they say, I'm quitting. I'm not going to serve anymore. I'm just going to quit. They either do this through despair and discouragement or through rebellion. Jacob said, I'll serve you, Lord, if. Is that the reason we serve God? Now turn your Bible to Psalm 116. Psalm 116. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplication. Because he has inclined his ear unto me, therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. Apparently this is David speaking. And he says, I love the Lord because he heard me he heard my voice and my supplications. These are the because people. I'm interested sometimes in testimonies. Somebody will say, well, you know, I love the Lord because he's done this and he's done this and he's done this and he's done this. Well, that's true. God has been so good to us. But beloved friend, that's not the reason we serve God. We cannot serve God just because he's good to us. What about when the tragic times come? What about Bill Wallace in China? He built that compound hospital in Wuchow. The communists came and arrested him and tortured him. Should Bill Wallace say, well, now, Lord, I didn't bargain for this. I'm going to quit serving you now because you're not keeping your end of the bargain. Beloved friends, the because people get in trouble down the line. And if the only kind of faith we have is a faith that says, I'll serve God if he'll do such and such. Or I serve the Lord and I love the Lord. The silver stars will turn to gold. Somebody very, very precious in your home will be snatched away in death. There will be financial reverses.
Everything will not go like it should go. People will not talk well of you. You will have difficulties. You'll not always win the games. I serve the Lord because. No, there has to be another reason. Turn your Bible to Habakkuk chapter 3. Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 17. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, the fields shall yield no food, the flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Are you a nevertheless Christian? Are you that kind of a person? Are you the kind of person that can say, regardless of what happens, I'm going to thank God. When the ter- tears come, when the turmoil comes, when the sorrow comes, when the broken heart comes, I'm going to go on going on. Go on going on, Christian. Go on going on. There's a light ahead and surely waiting won't be long. Go on going on, Christian. Go on going on. Though the way seem dark and dreary, there's a light ahead and surely waiting won't be long. God will vindicate the faith of the faithful. Somebody said, where was Jesus during the days that he was dead on the cross? Where was he? We know his body died. It was put in the tomb. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus put it there. Three days later, he came out of the grave. Where was he in those three days? Was the spirit of Jesus dead? I believe the word of God teaches that Jesus was during those three days vindicating the faith of those who had died in faith, never having seen the fulfillment of the promise. Abraham, Isaac, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Isaiah, that great preacher who said, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Isaiah never saw that happen. He never saw that fulfilled. They took Isaiah one day out and put him between two trees. Manasseh had this done, the wicked king. And they took a saw. They let the trees up, and then they took a saw, and they sawed that preacher in two. Now, if Isaiah had said, I serve the Lord because, or if, he had been in an awful situation. But he was able to say, nevertheless, I'll serve the Lord. When Jesus died on the cross that day, taking to Calvary all of our sins, all of our iniquities, all of our chastisements, when he who knew no sin became the accursed thing for us and died in our place, and he cried out, it is finished. I believe the word of God teaches that our Lord went to paradise where those who had died in faith looking for the coming of the Son of God were. And he said, here I am. Look at the nail prints in my hands. Look at the sword. Look at the sword place in my side. 
Your faith has been vindicated. The faith of the faithful was vindicated. And then he transferred paradise to heaven. And our Lord, with the shout of victory, took all of those who had not seen the promise over to glory. He'll do the same thing one day when he comes again. Those who suffer affliction, those who suffer turmoil, those who have burdens, those who have problems, those who have financial reverses, those whose friends have forsaken them, those who have had the invasion of the death angel come into your home with no reason, no rhyme, and you said, Lord, I don't understand you. I have served you. I don't understand it. Why, Lord? And all the things that are unanswered now, they'll all be clear and as plain as the day. And so let me say to you, dear friend, we're on the winning side. Let's thank God now. When life is over, it will be worth it all when we see Him. One glimpse of His dear face will all sorrows erase. But how blessed it is in faith to say, I thank God right now. Standing here, sitting here at the Glendale Auditorium this morning, I just want to thank God. I want a, a heart, an attitude that is grateful to God for every blessing, grateful to God for every vicissitude, grateful to God for every sorrow, grateful to God for every flat tire. Lord, I want to say thank you. And this word says, in everything, give thanks. But there's some here this morning who cannot give thanks because you have never received the Lord of thanksgiving. You have never received him into your heart. Why not right now? Just say, Jesus, I want you. I want to receive Christ into my heart. I want the Lord Jesus to be real to me. This comes about by repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you receive him today? Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary when the blood of God streamed from that old rugged cross, forming a pool of blood at the foot of the cross that sinners plunged beneath that blood should lose all their guilty stains. You mean every sin of my life can be erased? Yes, just like that. You mean all my ugly thoughts, all my ugly actions, all of those old sins gone? Yes. Just like that, when you come to Christ, He cleanses, He forgives, He pardons, and then He gives you a new life, a new way, a new hope. Now, I'm not going to tell you that out there there aren't any more hurdles. I'm not going to say you'll win every game. I'm not going to say there'll be no difficulties or trials. I've taken the whole hour this morning to say there are trials along the way. But the one who is trusting in Jesus will one day have his faith vindicated when we come to the end of the way. And the trials of the road will seem nothing when we've come to the end of the way. May we pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Our Father in heaven, we thank thee that thou dost always cause us to triumph in Christ. Thanks be unto God who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ after the heat and the toil of the day, after the vicissitudes and the sorrows, after the trials and the tribulations, we can look into his face, thorn-shadowed face, beautiful face. We'll wish we'd given him more. 
We'll thank you through all eternity and we'll say with the redeemed of all ages, it was worth it. It was worth it all. Help somebody to come to Jesus today, we ask in his name. Amen. May we stand, please. We're going to sing God's invitation hymn. This is the invitation of, the, of our Lord. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. This is God's invitation. I'd like to ask every person in this room this morning who has never received Jesus as your Savior to come quickly to him. Come with your sins, come with your sorrows and your heartaches and your discouragements and your despair, but come. He that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. If you've never been saved, I urge you to come to Jesus right now. Maybe you've been saved during the week. Out in your home, you ask Christ to come into your heart. You need to come and take a stand for the Lord. Will you do what Jesus tells you to do? Maybe somebody here who needs a church home. You need to come and make Glendale part of your church home. Maybe there's someone here this morning. You've had a defeated life. You want to enter into a new plane of victory in Jesus. Coming just to say, I want to renew my covenant vow in Christ. Will you come while we sing, while we pray, who will be the first to step out for the King?